The Franklin Church of Christ welcomes you as we continue our special series on prayer. We want to thank you for joining us as Edwin presents what the Bible says about the power who hears our prayers. As we examine the Scriptures, there are truly some absolutely amazing praying warriors that set example for us. One of which is Elijah. Look in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. In James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the Scripture reads, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years, and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Clearly, Elijah was a praying warrior. Elijah's prayers impacted God. But I want you to stop and think for a moment as we look back on that time when Elijah prayed that there would be no rain, and then later prayed that there would be. And think about this. What stopped the rain? Was it Elijah? Certainly it was not. Elijah did not have the power residing within him to end the rain and then to call it down again. Was it Elijah's prayer? Well, not really. The prayer that Elijah uttered had no power in those words. They were not magical words or some kind of chant that would cause the rain to stop and then cause it to come again. Who stopped the rain? The God to whom Elijah prayed stopped the rain. The rain ceased not because Elijah was powerful, not because Elijah's prayer was powerful. The rain ceased because the God to whom Elijah prayed is powerful. We need to ever remember that we do not pray because we believe in the power of prayer. Rather, we believe in the power of God and therefore we pray. Elijah prayed because he believed in God and because he believed in the power of God. Elijah's prayers impacted God because of the faith that he had and the determination to serve and glorify his Father in heaven. If we want our prayers to be effective, if we want our prayers to impact God, we have to start with that same foundation that Elijah had. We have to start with the foundation of faith in this same powerful God. I want us to take a look at Elijah back in 1 Kings in chapter 18 and learn what Elijah believed about God, what Elijah knew about God, what Elijah was convicted why it was that he prayed to Jehovah God. We can learn in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 27 why Elijah prayed to Jehovah. Allow me to set the stage. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, the lone prophet of Jehovah God, has called together the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and they've all gone up to the Mount Carmel. 
Elijah says, here's what we'll do to decide who Israel is going to follow. We'll build these altars, and you call upon your God, and I'll call upon my God, and whichever one sends fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice, that's the one we'll serve. You remember the story. It's, it's one of the funniest stories in the Bible. It's, I believe God has a sense of humor, and this story demonstrates it. The prophets of Baal danced around, they jumped around, they cut themselves, they yelled and hollered for hours and nothing happened. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 27, Elijah begins to taunt them. And in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 27, so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. I believe we can take a look at what Elijah believed about Baal. And by making a contrast from that, we can see what Elijah believed about God. Elijah said these things about this God he knew did not exist because he was absolutely convinced they were not true about the God he served. He says, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and needs to be awakened. Baal may have been all these things, but Elijah's point is Jehovah is really God. So let's take a look. What do we learn about what Elijah believed regarding Jehovah God? The very first thing we learn, we're going to take this backwards. He's sleeping or needs to be awakened. Perhaps Baal sleeps, but God does not sleep because Jehovah is really God. What do we learn from this? Elijah demonstrates as he makes this comment taunting these prophets that Jehovah God is not a man with man's needs. I don't know about y'all, but I get tired sometimes. Anybody else get tired ever? You know, I, I think I've told you before, I'm in the local Toastmasters Club. We just had our conference this weekend, and we went Friday night from 7 to almost 11. Had to be there yesterday morning at 7.30 and was there until almost 11. And then I had to go home and, and still had to get ready to preach today. So guess what? I'm tired. What do you do when you get tired? Anybody sleep? That's what I do. Why? Because that's the way God made us. We're men and women. Human. And God has created us so that when we get tired, we go rest and we sleep. But God is not a man with man's needs. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need rejuvenation. He doesn't need restoration. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, the first statement is, God is not a man. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah demonstrates to us exactly the difference between us and God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah said, from the mouth of God, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens 
are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not like us. God doesn't have the same thoughts as us, the same ways as us, and He does not have the same needs as us. This has been a problem for mankind throughout all of history. Thinking that God is like us. In fact, in Psalm 50 and verse 21, in Psalm 50 and verse 21, God rebuked the Israelites in Psalm 50 and verse 21. He says, these things you have done. And I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. But then he goes on to say, but I will rebuke you. Because I'm not like you. And we must not limit God to believe that He is like us. God recognized the problem with this. And so in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, He gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelite nation. He said, do not make any graven images. Why did He give that command? Because He recognized that if we started making graven images to try to represent Him, the only thing we could make are copies of what we have seen and experienced. And as we molded that golden calf, or as we molded the picture of some kind of powerful human, we would limit God. Perhaps we would demonstrate Him as more powerful than us, but we would still limit God, making Him like us. And Elijah demonstrates, God is not like us. He doesn't sleep. Baal perhaps sleeps, but Jehovah is really God. And since He does not sleep, He does not need to be awakened. Every Sunday morning, my alarm goes off. And guess what I do? I hit the snooze. Very good. And 15 minutes later, because I have one of these neat clocks where I can program how long it takes for the snooze to go off again, and so I've changed it from 9 minutes to 15 minutes. And 15 minutes later, my alarm goes off again, and guess what I do? I hit that thing again. And depending on when I actually set the alarm depends on how many times I hit the snooze. I don't know why I don't just go ahead and set the alarm for 7 o'clock, because that's when I'm going to get up. But I have to be awakened. And at 7 o'clock, despite the fact that the alarm has gone off already two or three or four times, guess what I have to do immediately after I decide to wake up and get up because I've been awakened by my alarm? I have to roll over and hit Marita. Get up. And then I run downstairs and I try to get some breakfast together for the kids and then I run upstairs and guess what I have to do? Marita, it's time to get up. And so then I run in and I get the kids ready, or I get them up and say, go downstairs and eat breakfast. And the kids are actually typically a lot better about this than Marita and I are. They'll typically get up after the first time telling them, except for Ethan. There have been times when I've gotten him up. I even pick him up out of the bed, set him at the top of the stairs, say, go downstairs and eat breakfast. I walk into the room and I say, Marita, it's time to get up. And I walk out and Ethan's gotten back in bed. But what's going on here? We have to be awakened. We need help. We need others to do things for us so that we can get things done. 
But our God does not need that. Our God doesn't need our service. Baal perhaps needs service. And here in this great taunt, Elijah pinpoints one of the major differences between Jehovah God and the false gods. The false gods needed somebody to serve them. But Jehovah God does not. Jehovah doesn't need our prayers. Paul made this statement in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. In Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, as Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, he said, God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. He says, God doesn't need our service. He created the world. He doesn't need us to create temples for Him. He gives us life, breath, and all things. He doesn't need us to feed Him. Psalm 50 and verse 12. Back in the same psalm where they thought God was all together like them, in Psalm 50 and verse 12, God said this, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. He says, if I were hungry, I could eat. I don't need you. Here's some amazing things we learn about prayer from this. God does not need our prayers. When we look in the Bible, God has not directed us to pray because He needs something from us. God has directed us to pray, brethren, because we need something from Him. God has directed us to pray because we need to pray, not because He needs our prayers. And from that we understand that it doesn't matter how much I pray, God is not obligated to me. Because when I pray, I am not granting Him some great need. Certainly, if I did something for you, some kind of service, or you did something for me, we would feel obligated to each other. Why? Because we had provided a service. But when we pray to God, God is not obligated to us. That's why everything we ask of God is mercy. It's grace. Because if He's going to give it, if He's going to give it, it's because He has been gracious to us who did not deserve it. And Elijah recognized this. Elijah recognized that he was praying to God in this scenario, not for the rain to stop or the rain to begin, but for fire to come down, not because God needed his prayers, but because Elijah needed something. He needed fire to come down from heaven, and he couldn't make it happen. We go back to Elijah's statement. He's not asleep. He doesn't need to be awakened. He's not on a journey. Perhaps Baal goes on journeys, but Jehovah is really God. Surely we can't expect Baal to be everywhere. We can't expect him to, to hear every prayer that's going on out there all at the same time, all over the world from all his servants. Maybe he's out on a journey. Maybe he's visiting some of his other servants in other places, and you just got to wait, guys, for him to come back over here so that he can bring fire down upon your altar. 
But that's not Jehovah God. Because with Jehovah God, we can, in fact, expect Him to be everywhere at all times. That's how amazing and powerful He is. I'm reminded of a story I once heard. Third graders were walking through the line, lunch line. They came to a table that had a bowl of apples, and a teacher had carefully handwritten a note that said, Take only one. God is watching. They came to another table that had a plate full of cookies on it, and on the reverse side of a note, a child had quickly scrawled, Take all you want. God's watching the apples. But that's not the way it works with Jehovah. Jehovah God sees all and knows all. And He can watch both tables at the same time. Psalm 139 demonstrates this to us. In Psalm 139, beginning at verse 6, Psalm 139, verse 6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Psalm 139, verse 7. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall fall on me, even night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, excuse me, shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. There are two sides of this. There's a frightening side of this. The frightening side demonstrates that no matter where I am, no matter how secret I believe I am being, God sees and God knows. All those things that I can hide from y'all, I can't hide from God. But there's also a comforting side of this. The comforting side is that no matter where I end up and no matter what I'm facing and no matter what anybody else is doing to me, all those times when I believe that God has separated from me and abandoned me and not there, what this passage demonstrates is that He is there. He sees. He knows. And He will guide us. We just have our faith in Him. Baal may go on journeys, but Jehovah God is everywhere because He's really God. Or maybe He's busy. Once again, you can't expect Baal to do everything all at one time. Maybe one of His other servants have prayed to Him and He's all taking care of that prayer. Maybe if we wait till He's done with whatever He's doing now, He'll have some time for you guys here to light this altar. But that's not how it works with Jehovah God. Jehovah God is not too busy to be able to accomplish what we've asked. Jehovah God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can do all things. We can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. Here in my finite mind, the concept that a being exists who can do anything, I can't grasp it. But nevertheless, Jehovah God does not get busy. He's not so busy with other things that He can't do what I ask. He is powerful enough to do all things, and He can do them all right now if He chooses. What an amazing, powerful God. Remember Acts 17, 24 and 25? We read it just a moment ago. He created the world. 
He gives to all life, breath, and all good things. Well, that's power. I can't do that. We couldn't even do that together. But God can do that. You remember Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, to Him be glory. What that passage demonstrates is that I can ask and I can think big, but God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think. The greatest challenges that I could put before God do not even challenge Him. He can do beyond what I can even imagine. That's power. No wonder we should pray to Him. This is the God who created the world by speaking it into existence. This is the God who parted the Red Sea. This is the God who brought a nation from one man and then brought one man through that nation to save all mankind. That is power. Baal may get busy and not be able to respond to his servants, but our God is not that busy. Jehovah God is all-powerful. Or perhaps Elijah said, maybe he's just meditating. Without getting distracted by all of the colorful possibilities of the translation of the original text here, let's just recognize that Elijah's saying, well, maybe he's just distracted. Maybe Baal has just got his mind focused on something, and so you need to yell a little bit louder, kind of jar him out of that. He's distracted and not paying attention to you, his servants. Baal may get distracted from his servants and not be able to respond to them because either he's not able or he's not focused or he's not listening, but that's not the way it works with our God. Jehovah God loves and listens to his children and is not distracted from them. And when we come to him in prayer, he hears and he responds because he loves us. As we said earlier, God doesn't need our prayers. And we don't deserve to pray to God. But the amazing thing in all of this is despite His power, despite His awesomeness, despite His majesty, God has asked us to pray. And that's phenomenal. Why has He asked us to pray? First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 explains that we can cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. Say, that's something that's hard to fathom too. How does an amazing, powerful God like Jehovah care for us? Pitiful, weak, finite. David dealt with this question in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, beginning about in verse 4. Let's start in verse 3. David said, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have ordained, he said, I consider your power and all that you've done. Verse 4, he says, What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? That's a phenomenal thing. And yet our God does care. He loves and He listens. 1 John chapter 4 
And verse 8 provides an amazingly comforting teaching. In 1 John 4 and verse 8, he says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Why does God love us? Not because of anything we've done or haven't done. Not because of anything we are or are not. But because of who He is. He is love. His love is not bound up in what we do. And what we learn from that is that it doesn't matter what we do. God still loves us. Look, I'm not saying that, there's, that we can do anything and God accepts us and God forgives us. All I'm saying is that it doesn't matter what we do or what we've done. God loves us. And because He loves us, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 goes on to say, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's the amazing thing. The prophets of Baal, if their God was going to love them, they had to do all kinds of sacrifices. They had to cut themselves and mark their bodies and jump and shout and holler. And then, perhaps, possibly, they could attract the attention of Baal. And he might love them. But Jehovah God loves us so much that he did the sacrificing for us. And just asks us to serve him. He's not distracted. I know there are times... When we're driving in the car, or maybe even sitting around the dinner table, and off somewhere in the distance in my mind, I hear, Daddy. 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 All of a sudden, Reed will say, Edwin! Ethan wants to talk to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I love my kids. But sometimes I get so focused on what I'm thinking about that they can sit there and call my name a hundred times. And, and I, I mean, I even hear it back there, kind of. You know how it just registers back in the back of your mind, but it doesn't turn into action? But that's not Jehovah God. That may be Baal, but that's not Jehovah. This is the God in which Elijah believed. This is the power to whom he prayed. And because he believed this, his prayers were effective. Impacting God. And if we look in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 through 39, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 through 39, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. There's the prayer. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, Jehovah, He is God. And we know what they did. They took the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah and they slaughtered them and followed Jehovah. Because when that fire fell from heaven, the Israelites learned about the God in whom Elijah believed. 
and they decided to believe in Tim. You see, when we believe in this God, prayer will not be a ritual observance that we mark off of our daily checklist or that we try to make sure we get together once a week to do. It will be the natural response to this God who doesn't sleep and doesn't need to be awakened, who doesn't go on journeys, who doesn't get busy, and who does not meditate and get distracted. He deserves our praise, our honor. He deserves our glory. And when we believe in this God, we'll pray. Thank you, Edwin, for that powerful lesson on God who hears our prayers. And thank you for joining us as we learn more about God and praying to Him. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. One, God is not a man with man's needs. Two, God does not need us to serve Him. Three, God does not go on journeys. He is everywhere. Four, God does not get too busy to answer our prayers. He is all-powerful. Five, God does not get distracted so that He will not listen, but loves us, cares for us, and listens to us. What a great God we serve. What a great God who hears our prayers. If you have any questions about God, prayer, or how you can be a Christian and have access to God in prayer, please call us at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you and may you richly bless God.